0: Welcome back to the Move Against Cancer podcast, the show where we talk to brilliant guests to help support and inspire people that are affected by cancer. Visit our website, movecharity.org for more information on the work that we do. I'm delighted to hand over to Tony Collier, who will be hosting this episode in support of November. He'll be chatting with some of his friends about all things men's health.
1: Over to you, Tony.
2: So welcome everybody to the Move Charity podcast about men's health. It's the first time that Move have done a podcast about men's health, but this is a podcast that might save your life or the life of someone that you love. So this is really important because we're trying to spread a message about awareness. I'm gonna ask each of our guests to do a short intro and I'll start myself before handing over to others. So I'm Tony Collier. I'm a trustee of the Move Charity I'm also a Northwest Regional Ambassador for 5K Your Way, but I'm also a man living with advanced stage incurable prostate cancer that was diagnosed six and a half years ago. And that's my interest in, 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 uh, in men's health issues. Um, I'll hand over to Dan and if you could do something similar, Dan, that'd be great.
0: No worries. hi all, I'm Dan Rowe. I am a senior project development champion for the men's mental health and suicide prevention charity called Andy's Man Club. Uh, Really pleased to, uh, to to be joining Tony, so uh,
1: thank you very much for the uh, the invite.
2: Thanks, Dan, and over to Af.
1: Yep, hi everyone, uh, my name's Af Marseille. Um, I'm from Weymouth in Dorset, down on the south coast of England. Uh, testicular cancer, um, seven years ago, stage two, um, and that sort of, yeah, sparked, I guess, my interest in supporting other men in, in their mental health journey um, through their cancer journey as well. And yeah, recently, published a book on, um, yeah, the, the, the effect of a cancer trauma on men's mental health. So that's sort of, yeah, where my interest lies. And, um, I'm very, uh, interested in sports, uh, every kind of sports as well. So I'm a bit of a sport fanatic. Well,
2: you'll get a fair bit of sport today from Kevin and I, and maybe Dan <laughs> who's a and fan, but don't, we don't count that.
1: <laughs>
2: so over, over to Kev.
3: Yeah. Hi, my name's Kevin Webber. Um, I live in Epsom. I was diagnosed with uh, stage four prostate cancer, like Tony, um, nine years ago. And they told me at the time I might only live two years. Here I am nine years on, just gone past my nine year anniversary. And I'm still here. Um, So many men I got to know have already died. Uh, In fact, a guy died sadly yesterday who I got to know, um, I think, you know, younger than me, diagnosed for less than a year to death. So I do everything I can to raise awareness for prostate cancer and actually, to be fair, any illness that someone's got because they're all just as bad, you know.
2: I'd wanted to start off by just um, giving our listeners and viewers some idea of things that each of us might have done that might be considered to be a bit daft or a bit amazing. Um, And I know Kev's done some amazing things. I know Af's um, been involved with the Rio Olympics and I know his dad had a lap dancing club, which I found quite a funny bit of the book. And Dan also does amazing things supporting men's health. So, um, uh, fire away, Kev. If you could tell us a little bit about amazing things that you've done, because you've done loads of them.
3: Um, when you get told that your life might be over quite soon, sunny things become taken away from you. You know, you can't dream, you can't think about next week, next month, next year, because. You know, I thought I was my life was already over uh, chemo, radiotherapy and death. And so I was always a bit of a runner, but not a great runner. But I convinced my oncologist to let me run two marathons on week 13 and week 15 of chemo. And then I realised that I could still run, you know, I might have all this other stuff going on in my life. So I kept on running. And in brief, I've run a race called the Marathon de Sables four times across the Sahara, which is like 250 kilometres. I've raced... Similar races in Albania, Bhutan. I've raced across the Arctic twice, uh, 120 miles putting a sledge. Um, I've run, in fact, I've run 15,000 miles since I was diagnosed. I'm off next Wednesday to Cambodia again to race 230k through the jungle. And my whole point about it is it's not I'm special because I'm not special. I'm not very fast. I'm not very good. But if a, if a now 58 year old man with stage four cancer, nine years on, can still take on these challenges and generally succeed then no one has any excuse and I use it as awareness fundraising I've raised now over a million pounds for prostate cancer UK and it just shows what is possible if you push yourself That's And me. you've
2: also motivated me Kevin to do remarkable things as well and I uh, thank you for that. Uh, well sometimes I thank you for it other times I hated you for it when I was going through it but <laughs> uh, so I um, have completed since my diagnosis the London Marathon, a 100 kilometer ultra marathon. And last year, I um, set out to run at least 5k every day for um, 365 days, raising money for the Move charity, which I completed on the 3rd of January and averaged about 3.8 miles. And I haven't run since because I've been injured. <laughs> so I think I've run about uh, about 200 miles this year compared to about 1,400 miles last year. So keep doing amazing things. That's really, uh, really important. So go, go down. tell us about um, some daft or amazing things you might have done
0: i mean i'll be honest i'm not 100 sure how i follow those two things um, (laughs) because uh i'm absolutely not a runner i've got a love-hate relationship with uh with with running i'll I'll, I'll be honest with you um (laughs) uh, yeah i I suppose there's nothing in terms of physical challenge there's 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 really not huge amounts um we were as andy man club we were we were picked by global um radio to take part as part of their um make some noise day last year so we did, um, myself and Luke Ambler, the co-founder, did the, the, the National Three Peaks in 24 hours with Amanda Holden. Um, but I, I can't even claim that I completed that because I broke three bones coming down Scarfell. Um, oh. So I didn't even get a chance to do the the, the last mountain, unfortunately. So I think my um, my, my probably physical uh, sort of competitions and have um, always been kind of nearly but so close and not quite finishing. Um, but I, I think, f- from a charity point of view, we really appreciate that a lot of people do a lot of um, a lot of incredibly um, fun-looking, daft things um, to raise money and to raise awareness for our charity. So I will, um, I, w- I will be the kind of conduit for what they do to uh, to spread uh, to spread the word of, of, about us. So we're, we're really proud. I think one of our biggest highlights was for World Suicide Prevention Day this year. Um, we announced three weeks before that we were going to do the Yorkshire Three Peaks on World Suicide Prevention Day. Anyone that wanted to join us was more than welcome to. All they had to do was just kind of register via a form, and we saw 500 guys register, or 500 people, sorry, not just guys register to take part. Um, of which that caused um, shockwaves and probably regret internally when we realised that actually now it's a proper event. We have to get it organised properly, and it's not just a it's not just a relaxing walk across Yorkshire um but that was just an incredible um incredible ev- event um and again i can't even take a claim that i did that because i was jetting off to greece for a holiday on that exact day so <laughs> I, think, I think this might be a reoccurring theme during uh, during our talk today
2: <laughs> Thanks, Dan. And I, I've, I've I've nearly read your book now, and there's some amazing things there. You've got loads of celebrity friends. Where's all that come from? And, <laughs> you can you tell us a bit about you know some of the amazing things that you've done on your travels?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think my life, um, my life in terms of challenge and adventure, has been a reverse of what uh, your guys have been because I was doing it before uh, my cancer diagnosis, and I've not done much, if anything, since. Um, so maybe I need to take a bit of inspiration from you guys, but. Yeah, beforehand, I guess my first big challenge, I drove the length of India in a tuck-tuck, in a three-wheeled tuck-tuck, so that was pretty cool, Um, in a thing called the rickshaw rally. um, There's like 56 teams all in rickshaws, spent two weeks driving the length of of India in like a wacky races style thing, so that was pretty cool. Um, I have done some running, I've run four marathons, I've done London twice, I did Brighton and Manchester in the same week, um, so that was a bit of a challenge. Cycled London to Paris three day in three days. Um, I feel like I don't want to feel like I'm coming across playing like challenge and adventure top trumps here. But um, yeah, I've done the Three Peaks three times, and uh, and I went on the Chase as well, the TV game show. So that was a bit of a challenge as well, um, and went for thirty six thousand pounds on the higher offer and lost. So um, that was uh, that was. Yeah, got Um But putting myself outside my comfort zone, is, it's been something I've always really, um, I guess, enjoyed is a, is a strange word to put it, isn't it? But it's something that I like doing and, and keep developing. Uh, but yeah, since, since the cancer diagnosis, I've not really been able to run um, and, and do those sorts of things. But yeah, I, I've, I've worked at the last three Olympic Games as well. So I've done London, Rio and Tokyo. Um, so in terms of like famous friends or um, What you see, I've sort of been been amongst a lot of sports stars um, from the early days of their journey as well. So I guess that's why you you become a bit more friends with them because you're you're there in the small halls, not just the Wembley arenas. So that's been a nice um, journey to watch other people's successes as well.
2: Amazing, amazing. I'm going to throw a googly here because I've not pre warned you about this uh, this little sort of prompt for our discussion. For for me, since my cancer diagnosis, obviously running has been a great focal point for me, but music has been a massive, massive part of my life. And there are a few songs that basically became really meaningful following my diagnosis. So I'm going to ask you a question about songs that might have become meaningful to your illness um, that you might find difficult to listen to as a result. And I'm going to just tell you mine, so give you a little bit of time to think about it so i um was diagnosed six and a half years ago and uh, we follow a um, a guy called jason isbell uh, and he released this song called vampires now my wife and i had been married 38 years when i was diagnosed um and one of the lines in this song vampires was maybe we'll get 40 years together then one of us will be gone and you can imagine the impact on that when you've been given a two year prognosis because 38 years plus two is 40. And so that song became really meaningful. And every time I hear it, I sort of start tearing up. (laughs) So I find that, um, I find that song really challenging. There's a few others as well, but um, have any of you got um, songs that you might sort of um, have have that sort of similar impact?
3: I I have two actually. Um, One I always loved before I was ill, but it became more important and that is uh, a song called time by pink floyd and it, and it's such a great song about life in general and, and there's a fantastic line about and then one day you find 10 years have got behind you because like we all waste our life don't we we all think we'll do it tomorrow next week next month next year but then suddenly you realize the time has gone so that that song every line of that song is so poignant about how everyone not just someone like with a, an illness should live their life but the song that that really grabbed me i was out running just after i was diagnosed and there's a an 80s song a bit of a tree hugging song by um julian lennon called saltwater so it's a great 80s song and i thought i knew the words but two lines from the end he sings what will i think of me the day that i die and i had to stop i literally had to stop running and hear it again and again and i thought that's it on my deathbed whenever that might be so you know whoever you are hopefully when you're 120 years old whatever it might be on your deathbed what do you want to think about you want to think that you had a good life you helped other people you didn't hurt anyone you were kind to yourself other people the planet you know you made people smile and you've got a bag full of memories you don't want to get there and have regrets about what you should have could have would have done but didn't you don't want to get there and think the people you've upset the opportunities to help people when you said no and so yeah so to me those are if you ask me for two songs and the second one, that one line in that other song, you know, what will I think of me the day that I die? We all, you know, from that moment onwards, it's changed my life.
2: That's profound. I like that, Kev. Love it. What about Alf and Dan? Um,
1: yeah, I've, I've got two as well. Um, one's, one was for me and my journey. One was actually reminds me of my mum during my journey. Uh, the first one was Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine. Um, that was, I was having a shower at the hospital at the time. I was really weak, um, had no energy or anything. And it just came on shuffle on my iPhone. Um, and I love the beat and everything. And I ended up listening to it on repeat about four times during that day. And then I listened to it every day during my treatment, every single morning I'd put it on. So now if that comes on shuffle on my iPhone, obviously it takes me back. And depending on the mood, I either skip it really quickly or I listen to it and think right sit in the moment it's not today is not as bad as that day um and then the second one was was Westlife you raised me up um was one day I came back to my house um and my mum was listening to you raise me up on repeat and she doesn't really listen to music um but it sort of um sat with me because I felt like you know my trauma is affecting everyone around me and she was trying to find the power in music as well. Um, and, and some sort of message beyond, beyond words as well. So I think that one actually makes me more emotional than dog days are over. Dog days are over makes me feel motivated and I can, I can, you know, take over the world or something. But, um, Westlife raised me up. That brings a tear to my eye. I think down. Just
0: just picking up on, on what Kevin said there, I, I think it's a really kind of poignant, um, Kind of thing to, to think about the impact that we feel that we have on the world whenever that our time in this world ends is is something that i'll be honest i think a lot about Um, in kind of every every aspect of 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 life really in terms of everything that i'm doing from social media use to the way that I am with my family to the way that I'm at work and, and 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 everything along those lines so um I'm gonna have to actually check out that 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 song now to uh to to kind of listen so um you you've you've actually the first two questions that you've you've asked are, are probably literally nemesis for me one physical activity um like I said I'm a huge fan of it but hate it hate the thought of it a lot of the time and and music and um, I'm probably part of the 0.1 percent of um the world I say that 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 isn't a fan of music. I don't listen to music generally. And and actually a lot of songs kind of and and it comes back to when I went through my challenges with having personal depression, actually a lot of songs caused me more pain than they actually gave me relief. And, and I struggled to find um, anything that would would give me kind of any any kind of positivity. So actually, it brought a lot of negative. So I, I cut that kind of aspect of my life. But one thing that I will say is um, when Delivering talks about Andy's Man Club and what we are and what we're about is we have positive questions on on a weekly basis that change every single week and i always 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 talk about because music questions go down really well as you can imagine with a a big a large group of, of, of guys and one of the questions that we have every every year that always goes down the tree is what is your guilty pleasure song so what is the one song that obviously you really shouldn't like but you're kind of a bit obsessed with and I always tell people quite proudly what what mine is so if I'm gonna answer that question and it I'm not even ashamed by this i'm I think it's an absolute tune and it's um pj and Duncan let's get ready to rumble um not even remotely ashamed by the fact that so if I'm gonna pick a song then that always that song hearing it not that you hear it very often nowadays, but anytime that it's mentioned or, or it comes across or even like watching I'm a celebrity is actually it brings me back to a reminder of. Um, the journey that I've come on from from where I where I was to 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 where to where I am now. So
2: I love that, Dan. I absolutely love that. And um, I'm actually learning things about you that I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> For a couple of years, I'm finding all these things about about, about you, which is great. Um, and I, do, I want to talk about the impact of mental of our illnesses on our mental health. Um, and so it's probably a really good time for us to hear about your mental health story, Dan, and how, you know, what impact that's had on you and um, where it's taken you to, you know, from the place you were to a better place. And then we'll all talk about our own mental health impact.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, obviously as the the only one in, in, in this group that didn't or doesn't have a, a physical um, illness Mental health. My my whole um, issues were, were mental health, and as I've just alluded to, there I had postnatal depression. Now my son is um, eight years old in in a couple of weeks, and um, I thought I was dead excited about being a dad. I'd always wanted to be a dad. I was I wanted to be kind of hands on. I wanted to be involved. I wanted to go to every appointment, every scan. I wanted to be that. What I thought was probably that perfect dad. But I, I was kind of really clear in expectation that my role was to protect. It was to protect my son and protect my family. Then when my son was an hour old, he was taken off us and rushed to intensive care because he couldn't breathe. And when that happened, I I kind of felt like that was my fault. Like I I felt like I had failed really, really quickly. And he spent a week in intensive care where I, I just couldn't look in without feeling just really overwhelming amounts of guilt, kind of thinking to every single thing that I've ever done, what have I done that was that bad that's causing my son to suffer and, and that started to develop I, I started um masking a lot of the signs that I was struggling and um, I turned to junk food I turned to alcohol I know a joke quite a bit about um not doing exercise but I'm always relatively fit and healthy I do quite a bit of exercise normally that went by the wayside I, I shut off from my family I shut off from my friends and i didn't know where to turn i didn't know where there was support i didn't know where there was um was help out there i remember a health visitor um coming round when my son had not long got out of hospital and the health visitor coming round and kind of i was i was kind of sat there and i was asked to leave the room and they had one-on-one time with with my son's mum and when I came back downstairs thinking that obviously they're going to check in with me to see how I'm doing. And I didn't know how I was doing. I didn't know I was struggling that much. They'd gone. So there was absolutely no care and attention with, with new dads. Um, And this got worse and worse and worse um, over a period of time. And then when my son was nine months old, I made the first suicide attempt. And then in the following 18 months, I made another two. And that kind of led me to attending Andy's Man Club. Um, I knew about the charity already. I, I'm the, Our co-founder used to be a professional rugby league player. I'm a rugby league fan and I was aware of it, but I don't know. I, I kind of had that old school mentality of, well, that's not for me. That's for guys that are probably just a bit weak, that can't cope with normal things and all this kind of stuff. And here's me thinking, oh yeah, I'm coping with life. And, and I, I was kind of effectively forced through the door. Um, by my now ex-wife and 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 I kind of made that first step feeling alone feeling isolated feeling like I didn't want to be there I didn't want to be part of it but going well no one's going to understand what I'm going through because who else struggles being a dad like every guy finds it easy that was the way I was perceiving the world and I walked through the door and I just remember this guy talking about his weekend saying that he'd had the kids and that he'd struggled being a dad and it's the first time I'd ever heard anyone verbalize it i would never heard anyone else talk about being a dad. In fact, one of my good friends, he had a, um, his son is a couple of months older than than mine. And his son spent a week in intensive care when he was born. And my friend just sailed through it. And he just got on with it. And he dealt with it and, and all that kind of stuff. So I was kind of comparing myself to him going, well, why am I struggling with this? Like he sailed through, I should be normal. So then everything then turned inwards. It was like, well, I'm obviously not as much of a man. I'm not like if I can't cope with this like how weak am I and, and all this kind of stuff so it was a long journey it was two years from when my son was born to when I first walked through the door of Andy's Man Club and from there it's 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 easy to say things like oh it saved my life and all this kind of stuff but because I saved my life by attending I saved my life by talking and by listening and by being part of it and it's enabled me to do some incredible things i went from attending to becoming a facilitator to setting up a group to setting up another group to then set up more groups to then work for the charity to then manage a a team of 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 three um three members of staff to be responsible and as a collective we've now got as we record 159 groups and we see 4,000 men walk through our doors right across right across the, the 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 uk as far north as aberdeen as far south as plymouth and that's something that i'm hugely proud of hugely proud of that journey to to, to kind of come through and i'm i suppose i, I consider myself not not 100 cured but like it's something that i continue to work on just like you guys work a lot on your physical kind of attributes and the running and, and physical fitness and stuff like that the way that i see andy's man Club for me is that mental fitness um it's that continual check-in on a, on a weekly basis in which we're able to um we're able i'm able to keep feeling strong and feeling like i can do every, every um everything that i kind of need to do so that's kind of a bit about a um, bit about my story it's led me into other opportunities with campaigning around father's mental health now and 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 doing all these kind of great stuff and, and being invited on to come and talk to to you guys we've been on the phone for what 20 minutes and I feel inspired to go for a run. That's how inspiring you two, you two guys are talking about that. I also want to go from the north of India to the south of India in a, in a tuk-tuk. I mean, where else do you get that on a Sunday morning?
2: That's amazing, Dan, and um, the, um, the, obviously the motto of uh, Andy's Man Club, it, it's OK to talk, and I think that's something that will come out as, we, uh, as the rest of us talk about our mental health stuff. I think that Kevin and Arthur have probably been a lot stronger than I was. Um, I was given a two year prognosis uh, and I spent the first 18 months thinking so much about dying that I lost the joy of living. Um, and I was going through it. I, I was really struggling with my illness, struggling with the fact that I might only have two years to live. Um, my sister was admitted to a hospice for end of life care for breast cancer, and she was only 54. Um, I was having some problems with my business and just really struggling. and um, I actually went to Palmer to take part in the Palmer ten k, had the most horrendous run, uh, really impacted by cancer related fatigue from the, from the treatment that I'm on, ran sort of ten minutes slower than I would normally, and had a really, really horrible, horrible time. And all these things sort of crowded in, and I got back, and I literally cried for a week. And I go, "What on earth is going on?" Um, and I realised it was a sign of strength to seek help, and not a sign of weakness. Because I think many men think um, it's a sign of weakness to seek help, and don't think it's okay to talk. And, and I realised I, I needed help, um, and I went to get. Uh, I went to uh, a place called the Neil Cliff Centre at Withinshore Hospital. Cried on the shoulder of a social worker, of sort of a case worker for two and a half hours, and then had some psychological support. And ever since then, I've tried my absolute best to live every day as if it's my last and get, you know, complete joy out of it. Again, pretty much motivi- motivated by Kev because he's just so positive about, you know, <laughs> his, his life living with cancer, uh, and, and he's been a great um, mentor and buddy um, to me. So that's my story. So probably best to go to Kev now since I've just picked him up.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, I don't see myself like that. But first, I want to say something to Dan, actually. And um, it's something that I realised about me. And I just heard Dan say it at the start of the introductions. and I thought I must pick up down on this. So Dan, you said you tried to do the, the uh, three peaks and you said that you fell over and you broke bits and you couldn't finish. Your words were, I didn't finish. And actually, that's a mental thing. You have to change. And I've realised that I haven't got to the end of every race I've started. Things have got in the way. But I've finished them all. Yeah? I've My finish is as far as I can go. And, OK, if mentally you give up, then I, I would kind of say, well, actually, you've given up. But physically, if you can't go on, don't ever say you didn't finish. If physically you can't go on, you went as far as you could and that was your finish don't care about anyone else. Their finish might be the full course, but you gave it your all and that was your finish. So, so you know, be proud. And you know, I, I raced across the Arctic twice. And the second time I couldn't feel my feet. I couldn't feel my toes. I wasn't eating, I was being sick. And that was the end of my race. You know, I'd done about a hundred miles and that was the end. That was my finish. I didn't, you know, so as far as I was concerned, I'd, you know, I'd given my best shot and that's all I could do. And you know, if I'd gone any further, I probably would have died. So that was it. So. So that was my first bit anyway, not, not the bit I was through really talking about, but that's, but mentally, you know, when I was diagnosed, I cried for about the first week, and then I, I used to cry in the daytime, and then I realised that, was, that wasn't fair in my family, so I used to wait until my wife was asleep, and then I'd cry then, so I didn't want to upset her with me being so upset, and then literally it was that kind of, it's those eureka moments, I went for a run the day after I started chemo, and I realised that, you know, it's a bit like when you you sit on the beach and the tide's coming in. You've got a choice. You can get wet or you can, like, build a little castle wall in front of you and give you a few more minutes before you get wet. And that's how I see my life. I'm building this biggest castle wall I can. And one day, I'm under no illusions that there's, the water will come over the top of the sandcastle and I'll get wet. But actually, for now, I can still keep doing that, building that wall. So I fill myself with stuff to do. I've always been someone, even before I was ill, if I... I always have my next holiday booked before i came off this one so i always had something to look forward to so like now when i race i never get off a race without the next race i'm i'm going to cambodia next week but i've already booked a race in an aaron for next april and in 250k across spain in may because i don't know if i'll be there i can't tell you if my life will let me be there but i've got something to look forward to something to train for something to look forward to something to live to and that's really important so but mental health I speak to lots of people about mental health, even though I'm a prostate cancer person. And here's a trick that I've kind of, I've copyrighted because no one else has ever told me this. And so it's my trick, but you are free to use it whenever you want to in your presentations. And this is my trick. Never go to bed one night without knowing where you're gonna get one piece of joy from the next day. Okay, so people might say, oh, okay, that's easy for you because you go running every day. You look forward to your run tomorrow. That's true. This is my life. I get up, I have to, I go on a commuter train, it's awful. I go to work, I don't have my job, it's awful. I come on the commuter train, it's awful. I, it's Tuesday, I'll have Spiti lays, it's awful. And I watch Coronation Street, it's awful. I go, okay, right, let's, let's, let's talk about this. You commute, do you like audio books? Oh yeah, I like my book, right. Look forward to listening to the book on the train. Suddenly, instead of the train commute being a commute, I've got to stand up, it's suddenly I'm, I'm going to hear this book. When you go to work, there's got to be someone you like at work. Make a point of asking them a question. Think of the question you want to ask them or tell them that's going to make you smile. And that's, I'm going to look forward to that for tomorrow. Again, on the way home, the commute. Okay, we've got that bit. If you don't like spaghetti-boiled lays on a Tuesday, don't have spaghetti-boiled lays. Have something you like. And finally, why would anyone ever watch Coronation Street? You know, that's just slash your wrist time. Don't watch that. Watch something that's uplifting or, better still go for a walk text a friend i always say people one of my regrets is not staying in touch with the friends i already had we've all got friends in our lives that we've lost contact with nowadays technology just send them a text i was thinking about you mate. how are you they'll be they'll be blown away and i I, so i'm going on a bit here but I, i have a thing where if someone phones you and says you fancy going to the pub for a drink and you think oh it's sunday i'm a bit tired and you go no you sack them off no thanks you don't know why they phoned you. They chose you. They might chose you just because you're a good bloke, but they might have chosen you because it's been hell at home this week and they chose you to the person they could talk to in the pub. They chose you because they feel safe talking to you. So never ever sack someone off with a no, I can't make it. Even if you can't make it, you go, can't make it right now, but hey, I've got five minutes to speak on the phone. Why don't you give me a call? Or can't do it today, how about tomorrow? So that's another way of doing mental health. Never ever sack someone off and, and hope that if you contact someone which might be a cry for help or just a cry for staying positive that you never sack them off and you go, yeah, let's talk about that. Anyway, that's, that's, what, that's my trick. Staying positive. Just do, just do, think about and do.
2: You can see why Kev's been an inspiration for me, can't you? <laughs> go on, after your turn, have a... Have a have a go at following kev <laughs>
1: <laughs> um i think i think my mental health journey and and sort of trying to inspire others started uh way before my cancer uh diagnosis it was uh, in my early 20s i was actually trying to sort of find myself away in um and relationships with my dad and things like that and um a few things went wrong in my early 20s and i ended up like actually getting counseling and trying to figure things out and why had certain things happened in my upbringing and stuff like that. And um, and the counselling was, was, was useful, it was very good, reflection, everything. Um, but the thing that really um, changed my life, I guess, I went on a stand-up comedy course once and this guy who was teaching the course, he said, stand-up comedy will set you free. And I was like, wow, that sounds really interesting. Um, and I did this six week course. And at the end of it, you do a gig and there was 120 people there. And he said, whatever's the worst thing in your life, make a joke about that. And I was like, right, OK. Um, and like, at the time, I'd found out um, that I had this other brother that I didn't know about. You know, my dad had a, a secret family kind of thing. And I went up on stage and I told this story about how I found out about my dad having a, another family and blah, blah, blah. I made a joke about it. And on the DVD, which you can actually see, um, I stutter in that word. And as I said the problem, and it came out, and it got a big laugh in the, in the audience. The problem had gone; it vanished. What I'd been holding on to for like eighteen months, and I and I turned it into humour and comedy, and shared it with one hundred and twenty strangers. It all it just suddenly vanished. Um, and that was the defining moment. I think for you know, like we've spoke about here, is sharing problems. And, and I'm not saying you have to go and do a, a stand-up comedy set to 120 people to get over issues and things like that. Um, but I think that's what taught me about talking openly and sharing um, issues and stuff like that. And, and yeah, when I had the cancer diagnosis, I was in Brazil. Like we mentioned, I, I was living the dream. I was on Copacabana Beach. I was working in boxing, I had this Brazilian girlfriend. Life was 10 out of 10 every day. And then all of a sudden i had to come back and you know face this um cancer diagnosis and and i just put it on facebook and i said you know hi everyone i've i've been going through cancer and uh, sorry i've been in brazil li- living the dream now i've got cancer but don't worry we got this and uh everyone was sort of really taken aback that um you know like kevin mentioned they've been running this run of the meal life you know having a spaghetti bolognese on a tuesday and coronation street etc and I was sitting there with cancer and I was still like, Do you know what? We've done challenges before and we're going to get through it. And I put at the end of it, um, don't worry everyone, we got this. And everyone started commenting on this social media post. You got this, Af, Af you got this. And then like, oh, the, I'll show these. I've got this, these blue, you got this wristbands. Um, so the last person who had a, a wristband and testicular cancer was Lance Armstrong. So I thought I'd follow his, uh, his, his thing. I, I've not. I've not signed up to the Tour de France yet um, or started blood doping or anything, but um, raised money through those wristbands and, and you got this. Um, and, and that's what I think was the, my mental health journey is, as well. As, like I said, I did a lot of the challenges beforehand, so I knew what it would took in your mind to complete a marathon or to complete uh, climbing mountains and stuff like that, perseverance, going to sort of your extremes and further than that if you can. Um, and for me, my I guess cancer journey was a lot was trying to manage the people around me's mental health as well as mine, um, and that's the thing I struggled with personally was was trying to not let everybody sort of crumble around me because my dad didn't take it well, my mum was really struggling, um, and someone put a really good analogy to, to me, which if anybody's listening to this and uh, is also going through the same, that their mental health might be okay, but it's the people around them. Um, they said to me, this is a team effort. What you're going through is a team effort. Like Usain Bolt doesn't just win the 100 metres on his own. He's got his coaches and his family and his fans. And they said, this is a team effort, but you are Lionel Messi in this team. Like everybody's there, but you're the Lionel Messi and you're expected to turn up and score all the goals and carry the team and things like that. And, and at the time I was like, that is a really good analogy. I am Messi. Um I probably didn't, wasn't aware of it until the very end when I sort of got the all clear intermission date. Um, that's when it finally hit me, when I finally had that news and, and everything came out. And again, someone described it um, after reading the book, like, it's like I was holding my breath the whole time through cancer. And then right at the air, right at the end, I've come up for air. And then I'm like, <gasps> like that. And then it's all come out and i think that's a lot of um when you are going through mental health things that is sort of if you're keeping it in it is like holding your breath underwater and you can only do that for so long before you need to come up and it just hits you um so yeah in terms of mental health like i say we, we it's about talking and if that's not your friends or family that's finding the community groups that you can do it with um and searching those places online where you can find those pa- people to confide in so um, yeah, and I guess that's my sort of story on mental health.
2: Lots of life lessons lessons coming out this morning. Um, so thanks for that, Af. and it was interesting that you talked about the impact on um, on family life and and your family from your illnesses. So just turning to Dan, um, what was what was the impact like on 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 your family of your own illness, and how did they cope when they found out that you'd made some attempts to take your own life?
0: Um, it has a, a huge impact. Um, it's trauma. It's nothing, nothing more, nothing less. Um, that that they've got to go through. I was talking to someone the other day about when you find yourself in that situation. For me, when when it happened, when when it happened to me, and I made those attempts, the next day, if I felt a little bit better, then I felt a little bit better. My family around me didn't because they were still catching up, and there's always a delay in terms of being able to um being able to even relax around around you as an individual i mean make no mistake about it i'm 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 now in an incredibly happy relationship as is my ex-wife but my mental health caused my divorce not because my ex-wife didn't support me because she provided with me provided me with an incredible amount of support well over and above it's because because of the impact that my mental health and, and suicide attempts had on our relationship. Our relationship went from being husband and wife to patient and carer. And that was a really kind of easy switch to make because the difficulty of watching someone struggle through with poor mental health, certainly to the extreme, to, to, to my extreme, if you, if you like, as I got better, my ex-wife i'm sure uh, would have felt that well when's it going to happen again when's the next time i can't relax because when is the next time it's going to happen and i suppose right now my my mum's had three strokes in the last six months and and i now probably fully understand to what my family went through with me because i feel although my mum's healthy at the moment it does feel like well I can't relax because the next phone call is gonna be that phone call to say that it's happened again and it's taken six years for me to fully truly understand what those around me must have felt but over the space of two years um so my family felt helpless felt that they could do anything and everything to support me which they did and they went over and above what what any anybody should should have to do to make sure that i was okay but the biggest thing around it as as i'm sure you guys will will all attest to with what you've been through as well it needed me to make that step it needed me to make that decision it needed me to um kevin mentioned about the the power of positivity i do uh, something every single day now which is called three good things which is just really simple of three good things that have happened that day so maybe it might not be necessarily looking forward to the next day, but it's very much my mind is trained to look for things that are positive and look out for that positive things um, to, to be able to, to do that. And to give everyone an idea, I started this five, five and and a half, or six years ago, the three good things. The first time I ever filled it in my three good things were I got out of bed. I had a shower. I ate food they were at that stage in my life, hugely, hugely positive things because they weren't necessarily things that I did every day. And now it's it's almost like whittling it down because there's that much stuff that I'm looking at that's positive. And again, using Kevin, what Kevin was saying before, every interaction now, I can take positivity out, no matter how bad it is, the, the stuff with, that's going on with my mum, there's loads of positivity around there. That, that I now look and, and seek to, to to kind of take out of every kind of instance so but kind of going back to it, it it's really really tough for families um, to, to watch loved ones go through um go through that and I think sometimes it's actually us that's involved in it that needs to be more self-aware about the impact that it does have on us because it's happening to us So we will deal with that, whether that's a physical or a mental ailment, we'll deal with that in the way that we obviously know how to, but we can react a lot quicker to those that are around us because they're obviously taking us on our word at things and they're still got that element of worry, but it's the lack of control, isn't it? It's that we've got control, they don't. And I, I think that's the biggest challenge that any family will go through when they're supporting a loved one who's going through a really difficult time. Thanks, Dan
2: before i uh, pass over to kevin um uh af has obviously had it you know his cancer diagnosis impacted on his family you know parents and other family members um when kevin and i were diagnosed um we had children in my case grandchildren um and the hardest thing for me was telling my children who were adult children you know we had to tell them to come round and um on on some spurious notion that we needed to chat with them about something. And then to break the news that I've been diagnosed with advanced stage cancer and might only be around for two years um, was possibly the most horrible experience ever. Uh, And it's had a big impact on our family life. My wife copes with my cancer diagnosis by saying, if I worry too much about it today, I'm losing the joy of today. And I think she got it right and I got it wrong. And I suspect Kev, is actually much more on the positive side, but I know it affected you, Kevin, didn't it? With um, telling your children about your own diagnosis.
3: Yeah, I always say about things. Actually, someone's got to go first, and I've realised, and I'm and I'm sure I'm pushing an open door here with the four of us. If if you tell your story to people, they will open up. You know, I've always made, remember pictures of that by Alcoholics Anonymous where someone says, I've got a drink problem. And then when someone says, then you feel safe, not that I've ever been there, I've got a drink problem too.
0: Yeah.
3: And I've had that experience many times in my life where because I tell my story, not because I want people to go, woe is you Kev, it's not about that. I do. I, I talk about me because I want other people to think about themselves. And I can think of examples where I've walked into a pub doing a charity thing on my own, and people look at you and go, oh, you're not from around here, are you? And they said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm doing this for prostate cancer. Why? And I said, I'm a story. And then some bloke at the bar goes, I've got prostate cancer. And they all look around and say, what? And it's one of their mates who would never tell, but suddenly all the attention quite rightly has gone from me and it's to one of their friends who's now saying, oh yeah, I don't want to tell anyone because, and, and so it's really important to be honest. I think that's not the first thing. The second thing is, and I I, I looked at Macmillan's site for this, so I, I, I stole this from them. And they said, whenever you've got to tell someone about cancer, tell everyone that's at the same level at the same time. So my kids were 16, 14 and 9. And I deliberately got them all in a room together and I told them the same story. And that way they hear the same thing. No one hears it first. There's no favouritism. No one feels left out. If one of them asks a question that another one wasn't going to ask, they will hear the same answer. And that's true of everything. I talk to a lot of companies nowadays, and I say, when you deliver bad news or good news, don't ever tell one person first, because everyone else in the business gets hacked off. So that's what I did. I told my kids. I didn't say because they were too, in my opinion, they were too young to say, "I might not be here in two years' time." I told them it was incurable, and then they, all, you know, everyone cried. And then I said, "Come, on, let's go and play football," because actually, that's the bit about life: is if you feel all right today. It's a good day. My wife always says that. If you wake up and feel okay, it's going to be a good day. And that's the thing. Too many people waste their lives. And I do my presentations to people. I always say, you know, if you'll never look back on your deathbed and say, I wish I spent more time crying. Why didn't I stay in bed feeling miserable? No one ever says that. And no one ever says, by the way, I wish I watched more of Love Island on TV. Another hint. Um, But people do say, I wish I spent more time with my family and friends. I wish I did more for other people. I wish I went out and enjoyed myself. So, yeah, that's my, my thing, is just tell everyone at the same time, be honest about it. And, and then and it was interesting, actually, what Dan's, Dan said earlier about other people, because I, I always say I get it lucky. You know, right now everyone thinks I'm a hero. I'm not. I'm ordinary Kev. They go, oh, Kev, you're amazing. And one day I'll sadly eyes and die, and they'll give me lots of great drugs on the way out so I won't feel too much pain. But my poor wife, what does she get? Apart from me, no one gives her any latitude, and she's got to deal with the whole journey and afterwards. Because afterwards, I'm going to be doing ultra marathons in the universe. That's what I'll be doing when I'm dead. But my poor wife's going to be here still, getting the spider out of the bath, you know, getting downstairs when there's a noise without me. And so I think we often, the person that's next to you, gets it worse than you do, um, because they had to live with it and they don't get the help. You know, we. If we do put our hands up and i think someone said that earlier we've got to go and seek help they don't seek help so maybe that's something we should be doing is actually encouraging our loved ones people that are close to us to consider getting help and talking about it sorry i, was think, it?
2: I think it's great kev that we are now seeing more and more support for uh, partners of people living with these horrible illnesses and that's really important i actually want to get the conversation around to awareness but I do want to. Um, we have two esteemed authors in our midst today, uh, and I do want to just um, uh, ask uh, Kevin Aff to talk very briefly about their books and what what the motivation was, and whether the motivation was raising awareness or whether it was some other motivation. So, Aff, you've written a book which has got a fantastic title. Go well, show us the book because I think it's, <laughs> let's get a plug in there.
1: There we go. Uh, well, yeah, it's my book is called. Tumorous Hesticles, just say cancer, um, by me, Say. Yeah, tumorous hesticles. Um, and that's sort of the title, yeah, um, sets the precedent, I guess, for the book, which is humorous testicles, because like I said earlier, there is a lot of comedy in there from the start. There's the serious bits in there about the chemo. Um, but the basis of it for I think for me is is like I said earlier, about the family relationships and dealing with relationships and the friendships. And it's, it's sort of more to do with the chaos that happens around you rather. I didn't just want to talk about chemo and it makes you sick and you lose your hair and, and stuff like that, because that's sort of like what everybody sees on the surface um, of when someone's going through cancer. I wanted to talk about, you know, I've sort of portrayed my friends and family in there as their character throughout. So my dad stayed in denial and anger throughout. Um, my mum was you know, bargaining and crying. And my friend Rich, um, he totally denied it all the way through with some inappropriate jokes. He literally just wanted the same old AF back, Um, didn't even acknowledge that I had cancer. It was quite remarkable, to be honest. Um, And, yeah, the the reason I put it together is, like most people, I'd always wanted to write a book. Um, I'd written comedy before and things like that as well. Um I, like I said, my knees are not in a good state to be running these days, so I still wanted to challenge myself, but I can't do the physical things just yet. I'm hoping one day, but um actually my biggest challenge was was sitting down in a chair every night and having to write uh that that was a challenge in itself, but the reason the book came about is after I saw sort of, my first year of remission, I was done with cancer, not going to talk about it anymore. I'm taking a flight to Cuba, going traveling. I'm going to live my life. That's it. Second year of remission. right? OK, well, I've done that. Feet back on the ground. Let's get a proper job and everything like that. Um, but I was still done with cancer. I was not going to let it define me. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm over it. I don't want to talk about it. And then in my third year, um, lots of people kept contacting me saying, oh, my friend's just been diagnosed. Can you speak with them? And I was like, yeah, all right. I get on the phone to some strangers and, and say look this is what's going to happen and your family's going to go a bit mad and it's going to be really difficult etc etc cetera, et cetera. and and then what I was doing I was writing letters to a lot of new cancer patients and I was saying look you're going to be okay this is what's going to happen you can't have people don't be in denial and anger and frustration around you And 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 I was writing a lot of letters to people and and after writing a lot of the letters I thought you know I could just turn this into a book and then just send them the book next time. <laughs> um, so I have written it in the style as someone that's been newly diagnosed um, you know the, the first line is like hello mate you know sorry about the bad news you've booked on to your next adventure cancer damn like that sets the the, the precedent for the book again but the feedback I've been having is it's not just for people going through cancer treatment or chemo or anything. This is for like the mums, the partners, uh, the siblings, the friends that have to, like Kev said, sit on the sidelines and look at, you know, what is really going on because it might be the person with cancer treatment that's getting all the attention and and talking about it. But what is really going on in a man's mind and a young man's mind, especially um, through that and, and yeah then a no holds barred on it um, and yeah speak about every, everything in between from fertility um, the fertility clinic visit to the chemo to trying to mend relationships um, I mean the, the unique part of my story is like I said earlier I was in Brazil but i just finished my job at the Olympics so I was unemployed I had no relationship I had nowhere to live because I was in an Airbnb um, so I literally, my Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I had none of it, um, in place. And that's why I had to come back to UK, move in with my mum at 29 years old, um, had no income, had nothing, uh, but I had loads of support and that, that's what, that's what got me through it and, and keeping that humor, um, and, and the inspiration throughout. So yeah, I've had some very positive feedback, um, and yeah, the last bit to say is really, you know, at first I thought this would be a good way. Again, with the stand-up comedy, when I released it into the world, it was no longer a problem. I thought the same, the same might happen with with the writing, but the things I was not expecting is, you know, I've been contacted by people going through cancer, um, one especially recently, and said, I, "I was diagnosed two weeks ago. A friend bought me your book, and I was absolutely." Um, terrified to put in a in a better phrase than he put it Uh, I was absolutely terrified but now reading your book I know I can absolutely nail this and I'm not scared anymore and I was like wow that that really hit me hard Um, and it's brought yeah brought tears to my eyes and and that's sort of hopefully what I can do is helping these people supporting these people and and the friends and families of the people that are going through it so that's
2: that's brilliant affin i'm going to turn the conversation round to awareness for the last five minutes but kev you've written a book uh dead man running um which i've read and it's very inspiring and was your motivation um about raising awareness um i found one of the chapters right at the start when you were telling your family i found that really difficult to read because i've been there and done it but tell us whether what your motivation was
3: okay so here's the book we were doing the there we go oh There are pictures of me in a desert and also in the Arctic. Um, I wrote that book in lockdown with a friend um, and I initially wrote it for my kids because I never really told my kids how I felt every day. One of the things I've learned is whilst it's important to share how you feel to some people, you also have to understand how they will take it. And I didn't want to have a nine-year-old son upset or feeling had to be quiet or not play as a nine-year-old should because dad's having chemo today so I held a lot back of what I felt each day at that point in time from them not from not from everyone but from them so initially I wrote it for my kids so they could see my story but I also wrote it because I wanted other people um a bit like your your book so I wanted people to read it and think do you know what just because you get some bad news happened to be cancer in my case but bad news Life is not over today. And that's why I talk about all the things I've done beyond it. And, you know, none of us know if tomorrow we get hit by a bus. That's <laughs> not a cancer thing. But we if we're lying on the floor, having just been splattered thinking, oh, I've only had, it's, so you've got to do it now. That's what life's about. So it's really about proving you can do stuff. And I talked about finishing, you know, it doesn't matter if you finish or not. You just, if you're brave enough to put your foot on the start line, that's a massive achievement in itself. And that's what I do. Every race I do, I never know if I'm going to finish. But I don't want to do races where I know I'm going to finish because that takes out the jeopardy. I like the jeopardy. I like the challenge. And so the book's really about hope. And I've had, a bit like yourself, I've had oncologists. I've had people who are non-runners. I've had people who just like reading a good book and a story, read it and come back to me. Um, And and it's been out for a, a while now. And it's just as relevant today as it was the day I wrote it. Um, Unfortunately, now I've got to write Dead Man still running, because I've done loads more since it as well. I'm about two chapters short of book two, Um, but it's just about, it's about positivity. You know, the first chapter's a tearjerker, absolutely. But once you get past chapter one, that sets the scene, you then go, well, actually, if you can do what we do after that, then, then that's fine. And, you know, I know many oncologists that when people get diagnosed, go, you want to get this book? and I get the feedback and everything else, which is quite nice.
2: That's brilliant, Kev. I, I really want to just spend the last few minutes just talking about awareness. So I'm gonna sort of combine a couple of points really. Uh, the first point really is why awareness of our illnesses is so important and what single message would you give our listeners that might save a man's life? So why is awareness so important and what single message would you give them that might save a man's life? And I'll ask Dan first because We've had the other two recently, so I'll keep <laughs>
0: Um Awareness is hugely important, but the one thing that I would tag along to awareness is I, d- I don't think we've been in a world where there's been as much awareness for probably all of our um, issues, conditions, illnesses, however, however you pronounce it. Um, my always concern when awareness is fantastic, but has to come with signposting. Um, I think the only thing that's worse, certainly from a mental health point of view, of making someone realise that they need help is them then not helping them where they can go and get that help. I see a, a lot, and it gets drilled down a lot of people's throats. And um, certainly on places like LinkedIn, social media, reach out, talk, reach out. Guys should speak. They should talk. If guys speak, they won't die by suicide. All these kind of aspects, which is which is obviously potentially true, and 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 it always always helps. But the amount of those messages that don't go here's where you can talk so awareness is fantastic we need more awareness certainly around men's mental health we need to, but we also need to direct people in terms of where they can go from a mental health point of view I don't think that there should ever be any awareness um that's put out there that doesn't include the likes of Samaritans calm zone Andy's man club women's Wellbeing club whatever it might be whatever your message that you're wanting to to kind of put out there the the message should always be caveated with where you can go and get that support because I think that's the one area that that we really struggle with in terms of a message um I, I'm not one for for cheesy lines um, I, don't, I don't think in in a lot of ways but listen I, I'm here because I reached out and I went and got that help admittedly I was encouraged greatly um to go and do that but I, I did it I tried it it worked for me Um, my message to to anybody would be try it you've got nothing you've literally got nothing to lose Um, it might not change things it might not improve but what have you lost you've missed Coronation Street and EastEnders on a Monday night if we're talking about Andy's Man Club and so yeah you're not missing out on anything and the potential for improvement is massive
2: powerful thank you Dan Um, Af um, why is awareness so important and what message would you give to men Cause you something around feeling your nuts.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Awareness is just echoing what Dan said. You know, it's uh, it's just so important to to keep talking. I think the difficult thing with cancer um, diagnosis for people that sort of get all clear and and live in remission is that there is no finish line, really. Um, you know, we've, we've said it in metaphorical senses earlier with with Kevin, the challenges and three pizzas. There is no finish line there is no you get the all clear and carry on with the rest of your life it's going to be brilliant um you know i've been doing a lot of ambassador work for trek stock and the best thing i've done post cancer is with them in in a life after cancer workshop um and that was six years past my all clear date and you know i really thought it, it's weird to say you're over it or something like that are you ever over it do you ever live without it lurking on the On your shoulder but um, it was six years I I took one of these life after cancer workshops and um, it was like the first time I cried in front of strangers talking about cancer it's really positive reflection exercises and stuff Um, so the, the awareness is to know that you can still talk about it after cancer as well I think that's really important a lot of people in the communities I've been in struggle with once you get the all clear you're sort of almost let go to fly again and and sort of forget that you you've forgotten how to fly um so to keep to keep talking um but yeah obviously it's great with this time from dan but and once a month check your testicles in the shower when they are warm and loose
3: <laughs> it Is
1: the uh is the advice um and if there is any painless lumps or in familiar shapes then go get them checked out asap
2: thanks that's great i'm gonna let kev have the final word and do the prostate cancer bit because there's no point both of us doing it and we both know what we need to look out for so over to you kev awareness of our illness and single message you give to men
3: okay so the 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 prostate cancer bit quickly is if your dad's had it or your brother or uncle's had it or if you're black and you're over the age of 45 go to a doctor for a test anyway but if you've but the actual, the main message for me is beyond that, because that's prostate cancer specific. The main message for me applies to everything. And that is, if any change happens in your body that you do not understand, go to a doctor's. Whether it be prostate cancer, testicular cancer, breast cancer, stomach cancer, whatever it is. If you don't feel well, if something's different, just go to the doctor's. I was convinced I was wasting his time when I went, you know, because I said, oh, I'm 48 years old, I'm not gonna have prostate cancer, am I? off i go just go to a doctor if something happens in your life that changes your body or mentally if you're not feeling great go to a doctor because you know do about signposting go to the doctor first he he or she should be able to signpost you afterwards but they also might be able to help you initially and that first bit of saying to someone and a doctor's a safe place normally saying to a doctor i don't feel right because that's the first step on the way forward
2: thanks kev and I would just add, because prostate cancer uh, is usually symptomless um, and we don't screen for it in the UK, men need to ask for the PSA blood test because that's the only way we can start the diagnostic process. That's it, guys. I'm really, really grateful for you joining us on a, on a, a Sunday morning and spending an hour chatting about stuff. Hopefully, we've created an impression that might help save men's lives. So, Thanks very much, everybody, and great to see you
0: all. thanks again for listening to the move against cancer podcast you can subscribe to the show on our website movetravity.org on apple podcasts and on spotify please don't forget to give us a five star review in the app if you enjoyed listening thank you once again to our host tony and his guests and we'll be back soon for another episode